0: Hi everyone and welcome to Oliver Weyman's Reinventing Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Ricard. Today I'm really thrilled uh, to welcome Drew Ostro who is the co-founder and CEO of Policy.me. Welcome, Drew. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, by the way, do you go by Drew or Andrew these days? Uh, a little bit of both. Okay. A little bit of okay. both. We can go with Drew on the show. Okay. All right. Well, we'll do that. So, Drew, why don't we start with a little intro. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah. So, as you know, I'm a Oliver Wyman alumni. Uh, I left, uh, left Oliver Wyman about three years ago to start this company, Policy Me. Actually, I started my career as an actuary working at Towers Watson and then jumped into management consulting probably about 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, working in the insurance practice, was based in Canada, but primarily working in the U.S. And then started this company, Policy Me, in March 2018. Mm-hmm. And the general idea was we were looking for a way to help bring Traditional offline distribution to an online channel, but not just focusing on the customer experience. Really focusing on the advice aspect of the buying process, mm-hmm. and really making sure that customers were getting the products they need and not being oversold. Tell
0: me a bit more about PolicyMe. First of all, where did the idea come from?
1: The idea it kind of came from just years of of working in the industry and and seeing what was going on. And as I said, really focusing on the advice. So I was mm-hmm. constantly being approached by friends, by family members who were being recommended certain insurance products, asking for my opinion. On whether that was the right product. And I felt there was a big gap in the industry mm-hmm. uh, on the advice side where the people selling the products were not necessarily deeply knowledgeable on the actual aspects of the products, on the risk-based pricing of the, of the products and really understanding how they were built up. And I felt that by bringing that aspect to the advice, Mm-hmm. I could really help make sure people were getting the right product. So that's really where it started. And then from there, it really became, okay, how do we scale up that portion of it? How do we take our advice algorithms, turn it into a business? And, and
0: obviously, that, that fell into distribution and being a broker. So you've been, uh, you've been at it for, what, about three years now? Is that right?
1: Yeah, it's been three years. When we started the company, we were a digital brokerage. So that meant we were tied in with various carriers and selling their uh, term life insurance products on our platform. But more recently, we actually launched our own product. So we partnered with a global reinsurance company and a smaller uh, insurance carrier in Canada to design a, a new term product designed exclusively
0: for our platform mm-hmm. um, that, that we launched about two months ago. Moving into the intratech world and starting a new venture, uh, what were the biggest challenges that you've experienced?
1: The hardest part I, I feel about starting a company is, is it's very difficult to get validation. So mm-hmm. coming from a, a world where I was working for a big company had people that I was reporting to, had clients. You can generally tell how you're doing, right? You get reviews, you get promotions, you get raises. You can get pretty regular feedback on your performance and understand right. what trajectory you're on and the path you're on. But when you build a business, it's very, very difficult to get that, that feedback. It, right. It's hard to tell whether, whether what you're doing is the right thing to be doing, whether there's something better you should be doing, whether you're building something that people want, that it'll turn into success, what the path looks like. So being able to really operate in an environment where you don't get that feedback and you don't get that that validation of what you're doing is a very very difficult thing. And I think for us it really came down to searching for for small small ways to measure that. So looking for the small victories. I'm not getting too far ahead of ourselves where we need to be a year or two years or three years out, but taking Mm -hmm. it week one week at a time, one month at a time, trying to create benchmarks,
0: uh, milestones, Mm -hmm. and measure against that to, to track our success. Again, as someone who has seen both sides. Are there particular things that you've seen or that you would consider to be steps that could help incumbents embracing that mindset uh, further or or, or getting started at least? Look, it's easier said than done, but trying to recreate an environment where the people
1: innovating or the people taking those risks and building those new products and new channels really are acting independently um, and, and are allowed to act in a world where there's a complete disregard. For the existing business. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, easier said than done, because it is easier said than done. And, and mm-hmm. as much as an executive might want to act that way, it's very hard when you're it's a wholly owned subsidiary and, and there is a clear dependency and relationship between the two entities, it's hard to create that independence in, in strategy and decision making. But the extent that is possible, and I and I, I don't have the answer to how to do that, but that's what I would say is. Probably the most important thing to do if 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 you do want to innovate as incumbent and you do want to compete um, with the startups coming up in your space.
0: another piece you mentioned, you know, you talked about testing and iterating. Oftentimes in, in big companies, I mean, to your point, you were saying, you know, oftentimes it's, you know, we're gonna do the strategy, the business requirements, and then it's a two, three, four year build journey uh, versus, you know, we put something out there. So I'm curious, you know, how how have you experienced this at Polysimi, and you know, do you have a few a few more lessons from that?
1: It's very much uh, a test and learn and 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 build cycle that we mm-hmm. that we have in our product roadmap. There's there's something called the burnt pizza analogy, which I, I think is a really important piece to talk about because I think people get kind of overdo it in the sense of okay, everything needs to be tested. Let's not spend any time designing. Let's just throw things out there. Let's see what sticks, and then mm-hmm. let's go from there. And what ends up happening is if you put something out there that isn't thought out, mm-hmm. you can't tell if your test worked or not. So in other words, right. if you create a new piece of pizza and you think this is maybe the, the, the next big thing and it could taste great and it could do really well, if you uh-huh. burn it and then give it to someone to test and it doesn't taste good, it doesn't mean it wasn't good to begin with. So right. I think from that analogy, we, we really think about this all the time. Um, we don't want to go too far along the spectrum of just testing, 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 and make sure that we are putting thoughtful thoughtful processes and ideas and 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 time behind actually designing what we are testing. So when we right. put that into the market and we get some feedback, it may not be fully fleshed out, but at least it's to a point where we know we're getting valuable feedback on whether it is indeed a good solution or not. So I think that incumbents and, and big companies tend to go the route of, less testing and, and, and much longer design periods. And then startups go the other end of the spectrum, which is like very quick testing. And I think it's really somewhere in between where you need to be. And, and I know there's certain companies that actually say, we're not doing any AB testing, right? Mm AB testing is all the rage these days. Everyone's talking about, okay, that's how you run things. You, You throw two versions out, you random, completely randomize. So there's no bias in the, in the customer base or the audience. And you see what's better. Uh, and I've actually uh, heard some, some really, really successful and smart CEOs and entrepreneurs say, we're not doing any of that. We don't want to A, B test anything. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure we're, we're not focusing on the 1% to 2% incremental improvement. And we're thinking much bigger in terms mm-hmm. of design and, and what can actually really move the needle and get right. us to the next level.
0: It's more of an art than a science. And it's not like you guys have figured out the perfect uh, setup, but it seems like there's been a lot of trial and error on, on that journey. Yeah,
1: it's, it's for sure. There is no perfect way to do it. And, and different strategies and different approaches will work for different companies. Right. For us, we try and work in, in the two-week sprint mentality, where mm-hmm. we, we make sure that we're costing out what it is we want to build in those sprints. Uh, we're being honest with ourselves in terms of engineering resourcing time and testing and, and things in that perspective. And, and we're very conscious of what it is that we're testing, what parts of our funnel right. we're looking to improve what the potential impact of that will be. Because, I mean, we're, as a startup, we're very limited on resources in terms of what we can do. We have a laundry list of items we'd love to add into our product, into our platform. And we have to be very careful about where it is we invest our time.
0: Around metrics, KPIs, objectives and key results, OKRs, uh, whatever you, you, you want to call them, between the established player mindset and the venture mindset i'm seeing quite a bit of uh, differences so how do you approach that today what kind of metrics do you look at what matters to you and and over what horizons
1: i think i mean early on i would say throw it all out the door it's mm-hmm. all completely irrelevant when you're when you're building some sort of disruptive technology or right. anything like that 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 you're you're looking for hyper growth major impact or nothing right this right. this business was never going to turn into for-profit business after a year or two and return some nice cash and just kind of coast it was always like go big or or nothing as easy and as fun as it is to get excited about sales and revenue and numbers like that early on Mm -hmm. we really try to ignore it because it doesn't tell the story at all maybe we like found some quick marketing channel that worked is going to work well for a month and that makes it look like we figured it out but it really doesn't especially in, in our type of business. I mean, selling life insurance, it's generally a transactional business. There's mm-hmm. certainly a relationship there and you can certainly sell other products and along the way, but people aren't buying life insurance every day or every month mm-hmm. or every year, right? You're buying it maybe every five years on average. So my point there is, is doing well in one month doesn't set you up to do well in the next month from mm-hmm. a marketing perspective. It's not like you have this recurring sale where once you get the customer, you now have them forever and you can keep on selling. So. For that respect, if we get if we would have gotten too caught up in, in revenue and sales, it creates bad behavior, right? Then our marketing right. team is, okay, let's chase down revenue this month, as opposed to what I want them doing is, let's figure out how to build scalability into our marketing, right? I don't right. care whether we sell 500 policies or 400 this month. I care whether we've now set something up and we've learned in a way that we can sell 1,000
0: in six months. Historically, you, you and I both know, you know, the, the industry hasn't uh, always been known for, for having, the, uh, having been at the, the forefront when it comes to, to customer experience. What kind of um, breakthroughs or, you know, what kind of features or services have you released that have made a difference when it comes to, to customer experience? And I would love to hear how, how you guys got there. Honestly, I think the most important thing
1: when it comes to customer experience in the life insurance process is just transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really lacking in the brokerage model because... The customer is dealing with the broker. The broker is dealing with the new business rep at the insurance company. The new business rep is dealing with the underwriter. The underwriter is maybe dealing with the reinsurance company. And there's just so much information flowing through all these different people. Mm -hmm. that it's very unlikely for the customer to get real updates on what's going on in in a reasonable time frame. And I think that uh, people focus on underwriting time and time to approval And it's certainly important, but one of our key design considerations from day one is we don't need to auto-approve everyone, right? Right. It's okay that if it, if it, if for some people and look, we try and auto-approve as many as we can, and it's about 50% of people right now get auto-approved, but for the people who don't, the key there is just explaining what's going on and keeping them updated immediately tell them why they were not approved, what's going on, what's coming next, how long it's going to take and, and, and continuous updates to that process. And that's enough to, to win in that space. And again, I think that's not some secret sauce, so to speak, mm-hmm. or some incredible breakthrough here. Um, <laughs> it's almost common sense, but right. you'd be shocked at, at how difficult it is to, to create that transparency in this process.
0: As a whole, where do you see the industry heading? And in particular, you know, there's a lot of different trends. What trends do you see Accelerating, and which ones also do you feel are more more of a fad than something real?
1: Yeah, as I said earlier, I see the entire term insurance market heading online. Um, It's Mm -hmm. only a matter of time. There, there will always be some people who need that human touch, but I think the online distributors now are starting to figure out how to build that into the process a little bit, so you can still service those people who don't want a fully digital experience. But the days of of Small advisors selling small term policies are, I, in my opinion, are, are, are numbered. Um, and then what's left is you have the kind of the upper end of the agency, of the distribution space, uh, the independent brokers who are able to sell the permanent products to high net worth individuals. That'll remain. That'll, that'll mm-hmm. never go away, uh, in my opinion. That'll stay. But the, the bottom end or the lower end of the advisor pool, in my opinion, will, will, will likely be wiped out in the next right. three to That's five right. years. Uh, so if I'm thinking as an incumbent, I know it's, it's hard to, to cannibalize your, your distribution channel and move away from that strategy, but I think it's, it's kind of time to bite the bullet and say, okay, this is where it's heading and, and I need to do whatever I can to make sure that when we're still around and we're still uh, winning and have some market share when that, when that occurs.
0: What about partnerships between the Intratech and incumbents? And you did mention that you've had a variety of partnerships. So I'm curious, From your perspective, what makes a successful partnership? Uh, From your perspective, but also, of of course, from the the incumbents.
1: In my opinion, it's really an alignment of incentives. And that's Mm -hmm. absolutely critical. So I'll give you the example that we went through. We were looking to, again, move away from the brokerage model and create our own term insurance product, but not just a product that we could sell, a product that we can own the entire operations of. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean from a partner? We need someone who, A doesn't have an existing term insurance product in the space, right? Mm-hmm. So we're not competing with their products at all, or what we'd be building would be competing with their products. Mm-hmm. Two, we needed a, a partner who doesn't distribute through the channels that we're disrupting. So it doesn't mm-hmm. distribute through the traditional uh, independent advisor model. And three, we needed a a partner that was, I would say, small enough. Not Maybe small is the wrong word, but not too big in a way that this would be somewhat meaningless, right? That unless right. Like with, with, with any sort of reasonable projections over the next few years, this would actually have an impact on their, on their bottom line. If we, right. if we can hit the projections we say we're going to hit, we want this to be a very meaningful revenue, revenue stream for that company. Right. So, I mean, those were the three big criteria. And then there were a handful of others. But I guess my point is that starting with laying out those criteria in advance, as opposed to just jumping to, okay, let's go call up and email and find every insurance company they know and hit my network up and get introductions and start those conversations. Uh, it's like, no, let's take a step back. Let's figure out what it is we're looking for. Now let's look at the available companies in our space. and Let's start mapping and figure out what are the one or two or maybe three that meet those criteria and then start those, then figure out your network who you can get in touch with and who you can call. Uh, and that was so, so important for us when we started and, and that allowed us to really find the best partner for what we needed. It's a company called Canadian Premier in Canada. They're owned by Securian Financial. And they've been an incredible partner for us building this product. They've given us so much trust and a ton of credibility and, and really letting us do what we want to do to, to essentially
0: produce the sales.
1: And at the same time, make sure that they're, they're aware that we're
0: protecting them as well. Going back to policy me, what's the, the vision for the company?
1: we've really built something really important here and, and, and really valuable in the sense that we now have this product that is better customer experience and cheaper prices. I mentioned the two differentiators, and we really feel like now is the time to build that brand around it. That's just missing now is we need that. We need to become that household name. We need to be known as the insurance company in Canada that people go to when they're looking for this product. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say short term, midterm, it's around brand and marketing. Obviously, there's a lot to do on the product side to so continue to increase conversions and optimize that piece. But I would say the brand and marketing is definitely our, our biggest challenge ahead. And then long term vision, I mean, we we want to dominate this space. Um, we really feel like we can we can really get a ton of market share here, and we can be the go to solution for term life insurance in Canada. I would say right now we're probably have one percent market share. Um, I know that that might sound small, but it, it's a massive, massive market. Uh, And it's the first 1% is the hardest, I guess
0: it's, it's, yeah. And it's, it's, it's extremely
1: fragmented the space, um, not just from a manufacturer perspective, but also from a distribution perspective. Uh, But I ask myself all the time. So one out of a hundred people who buy life insurance are buying from us, why isn't it five? Like, why isn't it 10? We have a better product and a cheaper price for the same, for the same product, a better experience and a cheaper price for the same product. Why isn't it 10? Why isn't it 20? And so we want to think really big. Like we think we can really gain a lot of market share in a short period of time and really start to dominate this space. What do you miss the most about
0: consulting? What do I miss other the than, most? Other than, other than working with me every yeah. day. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely not the traveling. I'll tell you that much. Um, it's definitely <laughs> nice to be grounded a little bit. I have to sleep in my bed every night and, and not have to be on an airplane. But I definitely, it de- definitely miss working for the company, having a lot of colleagues Especially to Oliver Wyman, I there's so many like, really, really smart and extremely talented people. And just the topics that we cover um, and projects that we get into, I and mean, I'm certainly learning a ton now, but it's a different type of learning.
0: We always finish with, uh, with a few final words of wisdom for our audience from, uh, from our guest. So what would be yours?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think when it, when it comes to life insurance, people always look at the PNC space and say, okay, there's, there's been way more success in that area in terms of bringing sales online. Why haven't we replicated that in life insurance? Mm -hmm. When it comes to life insurance, there's no urgency. You don't need it today. You might need it tomorrow. You can wait a month, you can wait two months. There's a lot of decisions around uh, coverage amount, term length, and even permanent versus term that can really increase your price by 10 times. Mm -hmm. So when you're prompted with a decision of don't necessarily need this right now. And what I'm being asked to choose has a big impact on my price. It's very easy to stop and not complete. And I think that's, where people really need to focus. And that's where we really focus. And it's customer experience is absolutely critical to getting someone to convert. But it's so much more than that when it comes to life insurance is you really have to think about what the buying process is, what the decision-making process is, and how do I get that person over, over the line?
0: By the way, I'm hearing a few, a few screams in the background. What's the, what's the hardest, scaling a, a startup or, or becoming a dad?
1: Oh, uh, becoming a dad for sure. For sure. It's, been, yeah, it's been about eleven weeks now. Um, I haven't slept in eleven weeks, uh, so uh, and I also be launched the product right around the day the, the day my son was born. So it's it was a crazy month in March, but uh, it's really been incredible.
0: Well, that's really great to hear, and I, I wish you all the best both on the on the startup front and uh, and on the fatherhood front. Drew, thank you so much for uh, for making the time. It was great talking to you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on anytime. Well, that was, uh, that was Drew Ostro, co-founder and CEO of B. For more information about our Reinventing Insurance series, please visit oliverwymancom slash reinventing Thanks for listening and I will see you next time.